This episode of the Get Fast podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I am one of your hosts, Jordan, and this is former Australian Ironman champion, Jared Donnelly. We all have those days where the thought of starting a training session seems daunting. You're either tired, flat, unmotivated, and getting a training session done seems like a distant dream. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about how to train when you just don't feel like it, and some tactics to help, and a little-known secret about motivation that most people don't realize, so I'm looking forward to revealing that. But before that, as always, we're going to go through what's caught your attention, and Normally, we just do one thing each, but there's a few things that's caught our attention, so there's a few things this week that we need to talk about. We're going to start off with a bang, uh, go into Strada Bianca, the first unofficial spring classic. It's not actually counted as a spring classic, but spring classics are back, and we're both very excited. We love talking about it on the podcast. There's always so many lessons to learn from pro cycling, Uh, even though we are a cycling and triathlon podcast. We just love these races, and... I want to start with the female race because something happened uh, in the race that I was pretty shocked at and I want to get your opinions on the tactics of this. So with a couple of K to go, uh, there was two girls in the lead uh, who ended up coming first and second and Borghini was left to do all the work on the front while the girl behind her who ended up winning, Vandenbrock Black, uh, sat on her and did absolutely no work. And the commentators were saying she's doing no work because she has two teammates in the breakaway 30 seconds behind them. You know, um, and I just couldn't understand why that mattered. Uh, I didn't understand why that gave her the right to not do any work. And, you know, Borghini on the front was just uh, doing all the work, tiring herself out. And, of course, um, she got out sprinted because that was always going to happen. So what are your thoughts on that? Am I correct in saying that that... Um that am I, to question that is that because yeah, it just it, seems so you know but it's a it it really doesn't it defies it logic yeah. um and the nature of cycling team tactics is is so complex and there's so many factors that uh, determine uh, what's a good tactic and a mistake um, and generally when you have one rider and you are well represented in the in the break. Uh, as you said, they had three riders, and of course, they had to throw out grenades, throw out riders to attack. And uh, the Italian champion Borghini chased down one of the attacks uh, from the team that had three riders, um, and and so Borghini's stuck with the the rider she's riding with to the finish line. Mm. Could definitely throw that 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 play that card of I'm not going to help you because my better riders are behind me um, and that's kind of the basis of her tactic um, you know there's a world champion behind her but she she was actually a world champion an ex-world champion herself so she's no slouch as a rider and Borghini knows that yeah. um, so in my opinion if that's the card she's going to play and Borghini has every right to um, question that and saying, oh, I don't you think you're good enough to win? Um, that would be one, you know, I would have a conversation, <laughs> yeah. definitely. Play um, some mind games. Yeah. Um, and I certainly wouldn't just sit on the front and just let it uh, let it pl- pan out like it did. I would, I would attempt to um, sit up um, and if you know the finish section well, there are a couple of little uh, steep bits and as we saw in the men's race, Vanderpoel attacked on a downhill at the, at the end and got a little gap. Um, so I would have tried a few of those tactics just to 
to make the other rider think for a start and to take some energy f- away from her legs so that she may – if she has to do another little effort, mm. how do we know what, what state she's in? Mm. She, you know, it might be one more effort and that'll do her and she's done. Mm. No one knows that. So just to stay on the front and let her have a free ride? Yeah. No. Uh, that's – It just panned out so scripted that she yeah. just buried herself in the front for the last yeah. however many kilometres. And the reason she did that is she, in her mind, is going, well, there's two riders here, I'm a chance of coming first and second, and she's probably backing herself that she'll beat um, Vandem Brock, Brock Black in the final. Um, but as it turned out, um, she was progressively getting tighter, and Vandem Brock Black was actually recovering mm. beautifully just to launch, mm. you know, the predictable attack. Mm. So so Borghini's kind of got a second and rather than possibly a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh or eighth. Mm. So she's guaranteed second by doing that. So that would be her in her mind. I'll stuff it. I'm either going to get first or second rather than sitting up and potentially letting eight more riders um, have a crack at the podium. Um, but, you know, how much value do you place on first compared to second? Um, you know, your first or your nowhere mm. is some of the tactics that I would I would be using. Um, you know, it's great to come second in a race like that. It's, you know, it's it's one of the, the classic races of all time and it will be a bigger race down the track. It's only a young race. And, and look, you know, there's this monuments, um, you know, that are called monuments. Yeah, I think Strata yeah. Bianca should be a monument. Yeah. Um, in in it's it's only been going for seventeen years or something. Um, before that, it was a uh, it was a ride where the, uh, people came out dressed in olden gear, and it was like a fun day. And it's turned into this epic race. So you personally would have risked going back to the um, chasing group. I, yeah, I don't know if I'd risk that. Yeah. I would risk. Um, Playing some different tactics, which which could cause the other group to catch up, yeah. but but I would be really conscious of not letting that happen because I still want to get yeah. first or second. You you wouldn't sit up and you wouldn't. No, I definitely wouldn't sit up. No, I yeah. would be trying other things before yeah. that. That would be my last. Because if you sit up and have a conversation, and then yeah, they look at 10 you. Ten seconds and, gone, yeah, and they yeah. look at you and go, "I'm not doing anything." And you, yeah, 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 and you've lost your advantage. Yeah, yeah, um, and look. The advantage the other team had was if they get caught, the next rider launches yeah. because all the other riders in the peloton were chasing, and the other two riders of that Fresh, teammate yeah. were sitting on. So, yeah. so yeah, there's a lot, a lot in the tactics of uh, yeah. cycling of, of team racing. Yeah, um, and look, that I don't think she made that big an error, but um, she still ended up with second. Mm. But I think she should have made it harder mm. for the victory. Yeah, and in the uh, men's category, uh, obviously Vanderpool's. Um, Vanderpool, yeah, Vanderpool. Uh, the, the amount of Vanders there are <laughs> across the male <laughs> and female is, yeah, Vanderpool and there's Wood Van Art and yes, um, his performance was exceptional. And it was. I've never seen a rider dominate the race like that, and and I think Alaphilippe's one of the greatest riders we've had for a long time. You know, he's in the class of Sagan, and you can rattle through all the yeah. the, the the previous world champions, and Alaphilippe is right up there, yeah. and he's got an explosive kick, and Vanderpool pole made him look second rate yeah. twice yeah. and that's kind of shocking um to see that um but you know looking at his profile of the of the power that he rode he rode a very clever race um and wood van art um i was all as the race was unfolding and i, I actually watched it more than once <laughs> so <laughs> and, the only person i know that would watch a four-hour race and, more than once. and and he spent a lot of time on the front 
unnecessarily. Um, and Matthew Vanderpol, he timed his efforts better than Van Aert. Van Aert kept the pressure on and caused the race to split. His team tactics enabled them to have the best seven riders in the world. You know, you had the world champion, ex-world champion, Tour de France champion, um, national champion, you know, and then you had Goggle, <laughs> was the other guy, <laughs> who has actually come in the top ten at Strata Bianca <laughs> before, but, uh, yeah. but, you no know. No disrespect to Goggle. That's right, he's a very good I've rider. Seen, I've never seen Goggle before, but. <laughs> <laughs> but the commentator, that was a pretty funny joke, I thought, but, yeah. um, uh, but. The, the class of rider that was in that final group was it was like you know you're going to watch a movie and you, you're seeing the, the the race pan out just exactly as you want it and don't underestimate how well Simon Clark rode and you know to finish in the top ten in that race and beat Fulsang uh, at the end um, he didn't get much of a mention in the race mm. and. That was outstanding. And he is one of the all-time great classic riders, Simon Clark. Yeah. And he doesn't get the accolade, in my opinion, that he deserves. Because he's had such good performances, hasn't he? Yeah. Some of his one-day stage – not stage races, one-day classic races. He's, you know, um, Milan San Remo was in the top ten last year. Mm. Um, and, mm. you know – Right there in the mm, sprint. Mm. Um, he wasn't there in the sprint for this one. Yep. Um, but, but you know, uh, oh, just just terrific to see an Aussie. And um, Michael Power was also in the in the bunch. Yeah. So there were two Aussies in that top 14, yeah. Um, yeah. which was a split bunch. Yeah. Um, and the, the bunch chasing, yeah. oh, Fulshang was doing his nut because he couldn't get the guys to help. Um, to get back on, he was caught out. He made a mistake and yep. got caught out. So yep. tactics were flying everywhere. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, you're right. It's great to see a top 10 Aussie in um, Simon Clark uh, in ninth and then Amanda Spratt was 12th in the female. So ninth and 12th were our best performances, yep. which is from pretty good. Um, yeah, um, Amanda Spratt's a, a, a consistent performer at yeah. that level. Yeah. It's fantastic. If you couldn't see my face then because you were listening to audio, I was sarcastic pretty good. It's unbelievable. <laughs> you know, That's right. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask though about uh, Vanderpoel's cyclocross background and what you think about this because uh, we see tons of gun riders come across from cyclocross and uh, you know there's just this thing about either a cyclocross background or a track background where they produce incredible cyclists and it's do you know the key do you know the key thing and look uh, the commentator he was really I can't remember what which one it was um, but he'd done his research and he rattled off uh, Alaphilippe Vanderpoel Van Aert etc etc they all had come from um some sort of cross training whether it was gravel bike or whether mm. it was mountain bike or track cadell evans was that all well? of them all yeah. of the guys in that group mm. um except goggle i think <laughs> <laughs> you're making that up i'm <laughs> um, no, making that up yeah. no one knows who he is yeah. but um but they all came from a background and the key thing which we talk about a lot is pressure on the pedals mm. and and, you know, a lot of the bunch riding in cycling is not pressure on the pedals. But in mountain biking or um, gravel riding or any of that cross, you know, that cross training, um, you're just forever uh, doing over-under effort, mm. over-under efforts. And, mm. and you're not, when you're on the under, you're not actually on the under. You're, mm. you're still having to pedal because yeah. you're on a flat section where you're not, you potentially by yourself. Because they're almost like time trials. Yeah, yeah. Um, this, the other sport we're talking about yeah. is like time trialing, and 
Ironically, this is what we push. We push threshold training, pressure on the pedals, and we use our uh, over-under high-intensity bunch riding as part of our program. And mm-hmm. and it's it you know people keep saying oh it's the you know it, it's because they ride mountain bike. Well, what is it in mountain biking or or gravel riding or um, you know that style of bike riding that enables them to be really good road riders or, or and, and track riding? It's because they're used to having pressure on the pedals all the time. It's like we talked about runners um you know you 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 can either keep up or you can't in a running race Mm. there's no freewheeling in a running race Mm -hmm. um if you can't keep the pace you drop off instantly um that time trial style of of racing or training is what makes you a better cyclist yeah so my next question on that was do you think it is equivalent to uh hill running for runners in the strength training by going to the hills and running really steep ups and downs is that the equivalent to cyclocross and why it could create such a good benefit for triathletes well the next step is cross country mm. that's what I think it's like it's like uh, and cross country and the downhills you're striding out mm. and you know you, the eccentric contraction you're feeling when you're running fast um, and that that's, can be fart leg training um, hill running but cross country running racing is as close as you'll ever get to you know what a mountain bike experience is because because w- whether you're going on the flat up or down you have to keep the pressure on the pace you're running at um you don't get to roll down a hill as a runner mm. um so you know you've just got constant it's the time trialing of threshold training that we're talking about that everybody avoids because guess what it's painful and hard so why would you want to front up and do that you know, once every three weeks mm. to, to do a threshold style event mm. um, because, you know, you're basically riding at your maximum for as long as you can. Mm. It's gruelling. Well, yeah, that is, that's uh, it's interesting to uh, think about how, yeah, exactly what we said, that, that the amount of top riders that come from that background, it's definitely something to think about in these training programs and why you say that uh, we, we implement this style of training in our training programs. Next thing that's caught our attention and this is both of us kind of have picked this up is uh, a lot of athletes wanting to do wanting to be too many things and what we mean by that is we talk a lot on this podcast about having an a race and you say pick your a race and some athletes come to you wanting to pick two a races and sometimes close to each other and you would say that's a bad idea yeah i feel like we we keep flogging this dead horse a bit um but it it, it's got to be said when you come with the mindset that, right, this is the race that I want to do and you're totally focused on that. And the example could be I want to swim the English Channel. I want to, I run, I want to run a 50K ultra marathon. I want to do peaks through, you know, nine-hour cycling race. And then you say, but I also want to do um, something quite obscure like um, uh, I want to improve my, you know, my running but I'm training for three peaks. And they're, they're just not complementary to each other. And I'm all for picking as many goals as you like, but you've got to understand at the end of the day that you are going to compromise one of them and you end up compromising both. So if you're going to, if you need, let's just use the English Channel swimming event, you need to swim a lot of endurance. And, and if you start running, you could end up uh, taking time away from your swimming program and potentially being sore, uh, potentially having hamstrings and soreness in quads and calves and et cetera, et cetera. It might complement it a little bit, but, you know, it is a bit of a, uh, a clash 
Um, the, the idea of doing a triathlon half Ironman against three peaks, um, they're both, you know, you can do both of them, but you will not be good at either of them. You'll be average. You know, you won't do a PB at peaks if you're training for an Ironman at the same time. And at the same time, you won't do a PB at the Ironman training for peaks. So you're going to be average at the end of the day. And if you understand that that's what's going to happen and you're happy, then that's okay. Mm. Um, but don't be unhappy when you don't perform the way you want to. So getting confused about having too many A races that are too close to each other, we have talked about, I'm sure. Um, yeah. And that's why I feel like we're repeating ourselves. But, uh, but that keeps coming up where people keep putting other events too close to their A race and uh, wonder why they're not actually uh, getting the result they want. I have heard you say that sentence, and I heard you say it last week, which is why it came up again. But um, you say, do you want to be average at both, or do you want to be good at one? And people say, um, well, I want to be good at both. And you say, well, it's just it's not an option. I'm sorry, it's not on the table. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a nice dream, but it's not on the table, and that's a kind of a harsh reality to yeah. face. Yeah, but the, the conflict's there. Yeah. Uh, and they do, co- you know, doing exercise will complement Everything, yeah, but but it won't enable you to achieve. For example, if you're doing peaks, we'll use the peaks example. You know, it's it's four thousand five hundred meters of climbing. So most of your training is involved around riding hills. Um, you know, long endurance training with hills with some intensity to, to get your FTP to improve. But in between, you need to recover. So if you if you're training for the Ironman or 70.3, in between the recovery you're supposed to be doing for peaks is swimming and running. So where's the recovery? Mm. So, so you're going to get really tired and not train well for three peaks because your fa- fatigue level is too high and the same is going to go for the 70.3. You're actually not swimming and running properly because you're so tired from the riding training in the hills that you're mm. doing. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to get a result that's you know, going to be your PB. Um, and, and that's as simple as I can make it. Yeah. And uh, another reason I wanted to bring it up was because you had a group of travel athletes approach you and say, right, we they, these are our athletes that we did the nationals that we spoke about a few weeks ago. Uh, we all want to do the Melbourne to Warney. Um, what was your reaction to that? And without going into personal detail, how do you approach that uh, conversation? Because it is, a again, a, a drastically different event, a 30-minute time trial, 40-minute time trial to a... 250 or 270 kilometer. 265. 265, yeah. I know exactly how far it is. Yeah, but they were also training for a road race and a criterium uh, and a team's time trial and individual time trial. So so they were, they do have the base um, for for an event and it it is nine weeks apart. Um, So they are a little bit different and because of the way we bring our program through, we do keep the endurance ride in part of the program anyway. So now we've got nine weeks just to add to that endurance. So it's definitely possible. Um, whereas if it was in three weeks' time or two weeks' time, I'd be saying, you're dreaming. Forget it. Um, you, f- you, know, you don't have the, the, the endurance base to do it. But they have an opportunity. So, so that's an example of giving yourself uh, enough time and understanding who the athlete is. Yep. And... A couple of people have said, oh, that sounds a great idea. And I've said to them, unfortunately for you, whatever your name is, I'm not going to (laughs) say, this is not the event for you this year. Um, You need a lot more. Melbourne to Warrnambool is not a race that you you go into because it sounds like a fun thing to do. It's, It's a... 
It's one of the most brutal races I've ever ridden. Yeah. Great. That's great clarification. Next caught your attention, uh, the sheep mentality. Explain to me the sheep mentality that caught your attention again. And I do feel like we, we do talk a lot in our podcast about this, but it, it definitely needs to be reiterated is um, because I don't know how many examples I can give here. If, if 100 people all line up to queue for something over the, over the other side of the road – you will look across there and go, what are they queuing up for? It must be something exciting that there's that many people queuing up for it. And you would find if you went and asked a percentage of the people in the queue, what are you queuing up for? I'm not sure, but it, it, all these other people are queuing up and I don't want to miss out. Um, so that's kind of an introduction into the sheep mentality, doing exactly what other people are doing without a good enough reason. And so so the Peaks event has... has the execution is just as equally important in a 10-hour event as it is in a 20-minute FTP or an 800. It, you know, in the 800, if everybody in your your heat runs the first and you're trying to run two minutes, we use that example because people in the podcast know that that's something that we've aspired to do. People will know the two-minute times intimately That's now. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And I'll use this example because it makes sense. You know, four times 200 at 30 seconds will give you two minutes. And if you run one of them under 30 seconds, you'll get 159. So at the start of an 800, I've watched this week in, week out for, for three years while you've been trying to break this record. Well, for 50 years probably. Yeah. yeah. And and seeing the first 200 run at 24 seconds or 25 or 26 seconds and – because you're in a group of eight people, you don't want to feel awkward and be 10 metres off the back. So the sheep mentality is, I'll just keep up with these guys. They must know what they're doing. Well, actually, they don't know what they're doing. They're running a completely poorly executed race. Because what you want to do is get there in 30 seconds in the first 200, not 24 or 25. And when it comes to the 600 metre mark to get to the finish, they're all running 34, 35, 36. Whereas if you stayed 10 metres off the back and came through in 30 seconds you would catch them all and pass them in, in the most important part, which is the last 50 metres, which is exactly what you did. So the sheep mentality keeps rearing its head in three peaks. It happened as well, and it's happened to me when I did three peaks, and I, I told the riders from Trivalo, this is what's going to occur when you hit the base of Mount Beauty at the start of Tawonga Gap, which is the first climb in the three peaks event. You will be passed by pretty much three quarters of the field. And everybody thinks that's the pace to go at because everybody's riding at that pace. But don't join them. Don't join the sheep. You stick with your power numbers that are going to get you up that climb, up Hotham and up Falls with the same power. And if we did a survey, the people who rode who rode past you, um, say they rode at 90% of their FTP up to Wonga and you were sticking to your 75 to 80, I guarantee if you looked at their power numbers on Falls Creek, it wouldn't be 90%, it would be 40 to 50 to 60% and it could be 20 because the majority of them are walking. And and that's what the sheep mentality does. You follow people who don't have a clue about what they're doing and just because a lot of people are doing it, it means that it's right. Well, it's okay to be the minority because sometimes the minority is correct. Uh, and in this case, they all rode the power on all three climbs very similar in the Trivalo group. First climb, second climb, third climb, and they were passing 
truckloads of people on the second and third climb that had already passed them on the first climb. So the sheep mentality keeps rearing its head. Um, I just It's like a broken record. I just can't believe people keep doing the same mistake and that is the definition of insanity, isn't it? Repeating the same mistake and expecting a different outcome. Yeah. The reason I brought it up again and <laughs> why it keeps rearing its head is because we were talking about three peaks after the weekend and uh, you said that the athletes, you know, you gave them a plan, they did exactly what you just said, they were passing people and they were calling you up afterwards saying it was incredible, we were just passing people constantly and you knew that was going to happen, you told them it was going to happen, it did happen, they told you it happened, but it just happens year after year and we we spoke about the fact that um, you've been telling me this since we were, I was a kid, uh, you've been experiencing it your whole athletic career. Uh, but no matter what, it just keeps happening. And no matter how experienced people are, it just keeps happening. And we, we were just kind of on the phone astounded that that more people don't pick it up, you know. And even last week, I was at a 5,000-meter track event, um, which was a really great event. I had a lot of Australia's best runners there. And um, there were some really fast 5,000-meter heats running around. But in a 5,000 meters, in an 800, you can sprint out in 25, 26, and you will suffer in the last 50 meters, 100 meters, and you will lose a second or two, but it's exaggerated over a 5,000 meter event on the track. And I watched race after race go off, and um, the, the first group would go through in 30, 32, 33 seconds when they needed to be running 36, 37, 38 seconds for 200, and that just hurts a whole lot more 4K into the event on the track, and you know, there's a whole... There's packs of runners running in the last K, 40 second, 42, 45, 48 second, 200 meters because they've just absolutely blown up. And physiologically, yeah, it, it's it's evidence based. It's not it's not a you know it is a tactic. It's not an opinion. Yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. you know you are increasing your heart rate, increasing your lactate, uh, which is going to prevent you from running well or performing well. It doesn't have to be a running race. It doesn't matter. And look, I, that example you gave is exactly. The, the worst case scenario is I remember uh, running the Melbourne Marathon. It used to start at Frankston and finished in the city square. And, um, you know, on the start line, you had guys who could run in, you know, probably 215, 220 would be the best runners there. Not It's not a world-class event, so you're not having 208s and 206 runners. Yeah. But they're still very, very good runners, you know, elite runners. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking three or four of them can run at that pace. And then there might be... 10 runners who can run between 210, 220 and 230. And there might be 30 runners who can run between 230 and 235, etc., etc. And the masses start to grow. But on the start line, in the first K, there's still a bunch of 70 right runners after a K in the marathon. Mm. Why? Why mm. is there still a bunch of 70 runners? There should only be three. Yeah. At, the first, at the first K mark, there should only be three. Yeah. And the next group of runners should be... Uh, 20 seconds behind them yeah. according to their pace that they're yeah. going to run. Yeah. And this happened year in, year out. I did a few Melbourne marathons and it, I would look around on the start line and see, I oh, know that guy there, he had the headband and he did it every year. And I looked, I used to search for his result and he'd run his first 5K in, you know, really good time of 18 minutes something and his last 5K was 30 minutes. Yeah. And he ended up running a, a, a split that was like, you know, one hour 30, looking at a three-hour marathon, and then his second split was two hours. Mm. So he ended up doing two and a half hours. Mm. Three and a half hours. Yeah. Three and a half hours yeah, instead, yeah. Of, instead of running sensibly. Yeah. But it was just the sheep mentality. Yeah, yeah. Just run... Oh. Yeah. Approximate times, but I, yeah, I know what you're saying. It's yeah. just like... It, 
it, it's exaggerated the, the longer the, the, event. Longer the event. Yeah, and it's a long time to be in agony for. Yeah. Um, whereas an eight hundred, you know, you can put up for yeah. 50, 50 uh, meters, yeah. but yeah. try doing it for six hours in a, an event like Peaks where you you've hit the wall. Yeah. It's not an experience you want to go through. Yeah. Believe me. Yeah, and there is you know genuine social studies on what you were talking about at the start. You know, the people queuing up, people queuing up. They did used to do studies where they would just make queues and see see if people would just join, and people did. And there was one study that was so fascinating. This is a bit off topic, but um, they would get people to in a waiting room, um, and they would make sure that um, there was only one person in there to start, and then there would be a person at the desk with a bell, and then the next stranger that walked in the person at the desk would ring the bell and then the person in the chair would stand up and so the person that walked in would stand next to them and stand still and then they'd ring the bell again and the, the actor, so to say, would sit down and so the stranger would, the person who didn't know they were part of a social experiment would sit down and then the next stranger that walked in, they take a seat, um, they'd ring the bell again and then both people stood up so the third person that comes in stands up and they do it to see how many people they can get to come in and they fill a room with eight to ten people all in the waiting room standing up and sitting down with no verbal instructions exactly yeah no, no one said that they have to do that and just because the first person saw it and the more people that did it everyone else thinks it's a and it's so funny on camera because you see people kind of looking around going well I guess I should do it because everyone stood up and it's this uh, it is the sheep mentality to AT so Anyway, moving on from that topic, uh, takes us to our very big topic of the day, the thing we want to finish off with, which is tactics with struggling with motivation. And give me your your gold secret of information that you wish everyone would know when it comes to motivation. Well, the gold secret is that you can't be motivated the whole time. And once you understand that concept, that 100% is not achievable. Let's face it, there's periods where as motivated as I am as a, as an athlete, I have periods where I'm 80% motivated or 60 or 20 or zero. So that is normal and everybody out there needs to hear that. And if you feel zero motivation, then you need to create tactics that enable you to get training. Um, and, and that's the key point that it's, it's normal to experience highs and lows in a, in a program that you've set yourself a target for an A race. So say you're sitting here saying, or at the start of the year, like I want to do the Noosa Triathlon and it's November and you've got the journey from the start of the year to November to get yourself as well prepared to, to do the race as well as you can. But that's a long time. That's 10 or 11 months. So there's going to be highs and lows in your motivation along that journey. And the message is, that's normal. That's okay. You're not the only one who experiences that. But the key thing is, what am I going to do about that? How am I going to get myself? And they're the things what we talk about now is the tactics. And that's, uh, on that note, it's so imperative that people know that because uh, when you, you can easily fall into the trap of... Uh, isolating yourself and thinking that you're the only one that's going through it and falling into that trap because you see everyone on Strava training really well. We talk about consistency all the time on this podcast. So you feel the pressure to be consistent, you know. The, co- the coach says you need to be more consistent. Um, and so when you're not, you really beat yourself up thinking, what's wrong with me? Why am I not motivated? But when you understand that everyone is going through it and 
and literally everyone, even the best athletes that you think, um, and everyone's somewhere on the on the motivation spectrum. Some people are 100% right now and they're flying and then other people are at 10%. And it's easier to be kinder to yourself about it and um, reassess and go through tactics. And before we go through the tactics, I mean, it has to be said that um, there might be situations where uh, tactics aren't gonna ha- going to help because you simply haven't got the passion for what you're trying to do anymore. And this is a big thing that you say a lot is you ask people, do you still want to do this? You know, overall, do you still want to do this? And if they don't, you say, well, stop, you know, don't think that I'm going to push you to do it when you don't want to do it. You know, there's just no way. And people get shocked when I say, they're expecting me to say, oh, come on, Jordan, you know, you can, you know, you can do this, you know, you need to, and I'm encouraging you to do it. Well, I'm, I'm not a believer in that. I want the individual to have the inner drive themselves, have the passion and the desire and the love of what they're doing to motivate them. They're the ones who selected the goal. I didn't push the goal onto them. They've come to me and said, this is what I want to achieve. I want you to help me get to that that uh, point um, at the end of this this uh, program. And so so you're the one that that has to actually come up with what am I doing this for, the, the why. And if you can't, you can't actually answer that then you need to question should i be doing it and we did talk about this earlier in a podcast mm-hmm. um but but it needs to be said that um i'm not going to be that person to to talk you into something um if you don't have the the love and the and the passion for what you're doing then you actually need to not do it yeah. and and i've had a couple of conversations just recently about that with people who um who are quite shocked that i've said it's okay don't you know don't beat yourself up if you've lost the the desire for it um you're you're being not true to yourself by continuing on the journey that you're not enjoying yeah um so there's a difference yeah. between uh just losing a little bit of motivation and a little bit of direction as compared to oh, i actually don't want to do this anymore um i shouldn't have picked this this is too hard it's impacting too much on my work my life my family and they're they're different reasons. So yeah. so you know, I just I just think you, you just really need to think really clearly about what is that what is it that's uh, that the reason why you're doing this. Um, and once you've established that, um, then the motivation and what to do and and how to do it is is really easy. Yeah, the tactics will work if yes. that's what you want, but they they won't well, do anything. That's if, right. Yeah. Yeah. And the flip side to this coin is that uh, you don't want to also fall into the trap of. Um, questioning you, your own passion just because you're feeling not motivated. So if you're in that slump of it might be a week or two where you're really not feeling yep. motivated, you're going, oh, do I really want this? And then you're not saying quit then because you might yep. still really want it, you're just not feeling motivated right now. So yep. you can try a bunch of these things. The the, uh, the usual thing that I've I've done with you guys and your brothers and sisters, um, sister, um, is, okay, um, I don't think you should do that anymore. Um, and... And once something's taken away from you, the fear of missing out on that is enormous. So um, I actually said this today to one of uh, the customers who's had a bad injury and he's questioning whether he should be doing it. Um, and I said, well, if you can't ever ride your bike again, will you be happy? Because he's thinking about not doing, you know, because it's, it's risky, it's dangerous. And he's going, oh, I haven't really thought about it like that. Um Oh, if I can't ever ride again, I'm not sure about that. Mm. I, I want to have a choice. Mm. Well, I'm saying if the choice was taken away from you, that will really determine how passionate you are about it. And I use myself as the example. Um, someone said to me, when you turn 40-something, you'll never run again. 
I'll just laugh. I'd say, no, that's not a possibility. But that's actually kind of what's happened. And I would have, you know, taken – I would just – given everything if that was going to be the future to prevent that from happening Mm. um and you know i'm still trying to prevent that from happening i'm trying all different tactics to to enable myself to actually jog or run again um, because i love the passion and and the feeling i get as a runner i just love that um the um and it's something that should be a normal activity but the minute it's taken away from you you you're you want it more Mm. and i think that's a, a really good point that um you know, say to yourself, um, have I got the passion for this? Or if I can never do this again, um, you know, I would, I, would I be unhappy? Mm. And if the answer is yes, then you still want to do it. Mm-hmm. It's just that you're in a motivational. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't want to uh, do yourself a disservice by every time you're feeling unmotivated, taking a break or um, yeah. or being inconsistent because that's just going to lead to inconsistent training and you're just never going to get the results you want. So, And that's why the tactics yeah. are, the, are the actual answer to – but you've got to establish what, yeah. what, which, which one you're on, which track you're on first. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. So let's go through some of the tactics. And something you've done with the athletes, especially over the COVID period, is uh, replace some training sessions with something more fun and more motivational, which is, for example, a Zwift race. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to think outside the box a little bit when, when you're really, really struggling. Um, and, and look, we, we have, uh, say, the program that you've, you, you've uh, got is six months to your A race. Um, and in that journey, you've got, you know, Tuesday, just pick a cyclist, Tuesday hard, Thursday hard, Saturday endurance, um, Sunday at sub-threshold, some easy rides, and then some tempo. So Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday is, is oh, you know, you know it's going to be a hard day and, and you're questioning whether you can actually do them. They're, they're that hard. Um, so um, what tactics can you use that give you the same result of the intensity but you don't feel like you're doing a training session. Mm. So doing a race is is one of those things. And I'm not saying do five races. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying use one of the days of intensity and that's what we did during COVID. We threw in a race and and once people understood what we were doing it for, um, for the socialising, um, for the interaction, um, for the motivation of uh, – of being, com- you know, as com- as competitive beasts, uh, training by yourself against power is a competition, but training against other humans is a better competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden, you've replaced one of your hard sessions out of the three with some fun. And that means you only have to do one training session on Tuesday or Thursday, whatever day it is, whereas the other one is is a competition. Mm-hmm. And, and then if, you know, if in COVID, you can't ride with a bunch, so join a group ride on Swift, mm. which is what we did. We joined a long endurance group ride and we made it a competition. So it wasn't a race, but it was, you know, we were having to hold three hours worth of power just like we would as an endurance ride. You know, the purpose and goal of the session was achieved. Mm. Um, but we used a tactic um, yep. to get ourselves around it. And then, you know, the Sunday session during COVID, I'm using these examples, um, where we were still indoors you know, to ride sub-threshold, let's just not ride that on another flat ride. Let's go up a hill and and uh, ride it at, at low cadence, get some strength work out of it as well as the sub-threshold. So they're little tactics that you, you can throw in. And all of a sudden, six months went by where everybody was riding out of their skins um, from from and didn't feel um, like they'd lost motivation. In fact, they... 
they couldn't wait for the next week for the next race and um, and the next Saturday endurance ride on Swift and you know they they were really good things that that we threw in that uh, enabled people to keep their goals alive and and as we found out when it opened up in November December January February March most of the Trivalo people are flying um, so that's one tactic yeah an easy little trick that. Um you always put it very simply is just uh, and there's a, a few things to this but the principle is just get your socks on yeah uh, and we, it's we do that saying a lot don't yeah, we um, it's just I've got a couple of guys who I would text to say have you got your socks on and most people go what are you talking about so the first step in getting ready for your session is to get dressed so the minute you put your socks on there's no going back you're on your journey towards the session so I would send a, a picture to uh, Sean, with a with my socks, I would just sh- take a picture of my feet with my socks on, and he would know that I'm about to start my session. So that was a little motivation tactic that we were using between each other, and you know we both knew it was a you know it was a damn hard session coming up, and he knew that I was had my socks on, and he would say that photo, I went and got ready and jumped on the bike because I knew you were on. Mm, and you're not even riding together. You're no. just both getting on the trainer. That's right. Yep. So it was it, just little things like that where you can use. Uh, friendship groups and um, you know there's there's no doubt in my mind that I you know I maintain my motivation by these tactics and I struggle with motivation just like everybody else but but uh, you know by using and I, I've got a whole lot more that we're going to go through but um, but there that's one of the ones that, that, that I, I think it's it's it makes me laugh every time I think of it because yeah, and you taught me that, and I've, I still use it, you know, to this day. Where I'll be, I I might just lie in my bed or something, or lie on the couch, which is a big mistake when you because you're just avoiding the session, and you might you, you know you just you're just so tired sometimes, and you um you just can't think of anything worse the than delay. Yeah, delay, yeah, <laughs> delay it. And I just say to myself, just get your shoes on, and I I actually trick myself to the point where I say, just get your shoes on. If you still don't feel like it, you don't have to run, you know, and. No matter how many times, when I'm, once my shoes are on, I'm going for a run. But you, I still say to myself, you don't have to run. It's okay. It's like you're coaching yourself, you know. Just get your shoes on and then if you're still feeling a little bit tired, you can you can not run. And it, it never happens once once your shoes are on. But uh, extending that tactic of just getting your socks on, uh, that mindset of, um, if you, look, if you're stuffed, you don't want to do a hard session, uh, just go for a uh, for an active run. You know, we just, say this all the time. Yeah, just yeah. go for a zone two. You yeah. Know? Um, if your if your session's Tuesday and it's supposed to be the hardest session you've got on the on the week's program, and you you know you genuinely are exhausted, then consistency is king. So get your socks on, jump on the bike, and roll around at at you know fifty percent, um, and for fifteen minutes. And um, what a waste of time that is. Absolutely not. You've got blood flow happening. You've got recovery. Uh, endorphins released from exercising, cardiac, your heart's getting worked. So many good things, so many positive things. And I bet you get off the bike thinking, oh, glad I did that. And sometimes halfway through it, oh, this isn't so bad. I might actually start the session. And before you know it, you've talked yourself, sucked yourself into doing a session without realising it. And I know myself that I'm going to do that. If I just get started, I won't do the session I've already said that to myself. <laughs> I won't do the session. And 15 minutes in, I'll actually feel all right. Yeah. I'll just start the session. Yeah. And before I know it, and I'm so wrapped at yeah, the end exactly. that I've actually gone through yeah. and I've actually nailed it. Yeah. And and what a journey yeah. that is from, you know, the session's an hour 20 and it's been a two-hour mind game. Yeah. And I'm sa- I'm telling the, the listeners this because that's what I've gone through. It's yeah. what you've gone through. 
and and it's normal to have to experience it because if it was easy to get to your race goal everybody would be doing the same you know thousands and thousands millions of people would be just yeah i'll just do that race i'll do that race but the journey is harder than the than the actual event sometimes um the journey to get to the event yeah um which probably leads to the next tactic well, I had my own point, but you yep. can... You okay, can on. okay. Well, I don't know what, what you wanted <laughs> next. Um, well, I was going to say it's context dependent, you know, and we spoke about this where um, sometimes I am struggling to do the hard sessions, you know, because they're really tough, uh, they're grueling, and you, you just know they're going to hurt. So sometimes I struggle with the motivation for that, but other times I'm really enjoying the tough sessions and I'm struggling to do the easy sessions because they're boring or... They're just slow and you know, you're getting excited by the hard sessions or even races and then mm. going for a, a long, slow one-hour jog or a one-hour 30 um, zone, just two. zone two pedaling. Yep. Um, yep. It just sounds horrible. And so depending on which one you're struggling with depends on how you try and trick yourself. And that uh, uh, Look, I've got some ridiculous tactics <laughs> with my recovery rides. Yeah. Like I would try to ride because Swift doesn't have lap power. It only has three-second power. So you... S- because we pedal so poorly, we, it's hard to hold 100 watts. I'm going to highlight this and say that this is under the category of dad's weird tactics because <laughs> you have some super weird tactics. And if people want to incorporate these, then great. But you, you tell us. So what one you, of the ones I'm do. concentrating on um, is 100 RPM, 100 watts, and 100 heart rate. <laughs> I call it the 100, 100, 100 session. Yeah. So it's a recovery session. And I'm trying to sit the power at exactly 100 watts and take a photo of the three <laughs> at 100, 100, 100. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, if you're... That works for you because... Oh, you're, no, yeah, yeah. I'm just using these yeah, numbers yeah. as an example. Yeah. Yeah. Or sometimes I would say I want to hold 160 watts, but not, I don't want to see anything below 155 on Swift or 165. I have to be pedaling and I don't want to see my heart rate creep um, more than five beats. And so I'm concentrating on the line, concentrating on the power number, trying to pedal as smoothly as I can so that I don't go over the, the number. Um, and there, and before I know it, I've, I've, got, I've concentrated so much on such an irrelevant thing, which is actually quite relevant to the session because yeah. it's keeping me right in the zone where I should be. But I'm concentrating so hard on that, all of a sudden the session's flying through. Mm. Um, and it, it is a tactic that, I don't find the recovery ride board. People go, oh, it's just so boring. Mm. But I know the I know the actual purpose and goal of it is is so helpful to the rest of my program that I'm going to attack it with um, with a tactic that's going to keep me concentrating in in what I should be doing and and using Zwift for that ride where there's people potentially sitting on me um, and when we come to a hill, I'll stay at my 1.5 watts per kilo at 150 watts and they will, you know, ride the hill hard and, and all of a sudden they'll soft pedal over the top of the hill and all of a sudden I'm flying back past them. I'm still riding 1.5 watts per kilo mm. at 150 watts and, and I just funny seeing people yo-yo backwards and forwards. So that keeps my attention mm. um, as, you know, as to the, uh, the mi- minor details. I'm talking minor details which actually, which actually contribute to my concentration. Um, it's just ways of tricking yourself. It yeah. is for sure. Yeah. And and 
again, these things, you're not doing that every single session, although you, I know you do do a lot of that a lot for yeah. the recovery sessions, but this is for when you're not motivated. When you're motivated, I, f- I find recovery sessions really enjoyable. You know, when you're, yeah. when you're in that mode yeah. where you're just loving training, yeah. everything's easy. You know, I don't need any distraction or I don't need any games to, to yeah, get Yeah, and, and I also think, oh, far out. Thank God this is an easy day today. Yeah. I can just yeah. relax and, man, I've got a smile on my face yeah. and I'm just rolling around. Yeah. And, of course, you know that I don't use the the stationary trainer i use the rollers for my recovery day so i'm practicing balancing i'm sitting up with no hands trying to ride you know tr- you know standing up out of the seat trying to balance on the rollers so i'm it's a day to have some fun yeah. and and i'm still getting because i'm on the rollers i'm still getting that feel of the road um, because you, you actually you have to concentrate all the time otherwise yeah. you're off yeah um which has happened yeah. um so so there's a whole lot of little things I'm doing where I'm not making it easy by riding the recovery on the stationary trainer. And look, I, I, you know, sometimes because where we live in the Dandenongs, for those who know the Dandenongs, it's just up and down. There is no flat section. I can't ride more than 100 metres without going up or down. So how am I going to do a recovery ride? I have mm. to drive somewhere to do a recovery ride. So I use the rollers indoors as my recovery ride and so time efficient as yeah. well. So so they're little tactics I'm using because it doesn't take time. Yeah. And I'm on the rollers and I'm you know I'm still using Swift on the rollers even though I can't feel the hills. Yeah. But I'm you know using the Ant Plus dongle and I'm yeah. still on Swift. Yeah. And I, on that point, I mean, I haven't got the excuse. I live in a flat area. So my I try and do my recovery rides on the go outside on the flat because I do like being outside and riding around. But yeah, sometimes when the motivation's not there, I'd rather distract myself and go on to the trainer and and either be on Zwift, which is a bit more distracting, or literally I'll just put something on the TV and so I can yeah. just kind of pedal easily watching. And again, it's just a tactic. But uh, uh, coming back to the context-dependent thing, I mean the tactic can kind of differ depending on on what you're struggling with. So the hard session tactic you said before about just do just do a session easy, you know, just get on, just do 15 minutes easy. I've used that plenty of times and I can say I've never just done 15 minutes. You know, mm. every time you warm up, you do the session. And even though I know that, it's still okay to trick myself because yeah. if I just did 15 minutes, that would be okay. Still, yes. Yeah, I'm yeah. not... Yeah, but I'm here now, yeah. so I might as well do it yeah. properly. Yeah, and it's and Im- important to know that if you just yeah. do the 15 minutes... Yeah, there's two options there. Yeah. yeah. It's you, okay to do 15 minutes and get off. Yeah, and even though it's never actually happened, if it happens one day, it's yeah. okay. And that's that's actually how you it works when you trick yourself because yeah. you do believe it when you say, if I still feel crappy after 15 minutes, 20 minutes, I'm getting off. Yeah, that's the rule. And and I have done it many times mm-hmm. where I've just stayed at, at recovery for mm. the whole hour. Mm. Um, I've not got off at fifteen minutes, yeah, exactly. But I've yeah. but I've just stayed at recovery. Yeah. And and I felt better yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Um, and I actually performed better the next day. Yeah. So you know it was a win win. Yeah. Um, and it still enabled me to keep the consistency trick. Yeah. Which we could talk about as a another tactic. Yeah, is that the one you wanted to bring up? No, it was a, that's <laughs> one I just thought about then, but it's not <laughs> the one I was thinking about before. Yeah. yeah. Do you want me to go with it? Go with it. Yeah. Uh, well. It, I mean, we. I know uh, Monaghetti did, I think, a tactic of I'm going to run consecutive days for, I don't know, the, he did tell us. Yeah, I can't remember what it I was, think it was Yeah, more than a thousand days. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he was at airports and he'd have to unpack his bag and run around the airport and yeah. he was in obscure places where, yeah. you know, he wouldn't he'd, miss a day. he'd arrive at 9.30 being on the plane for, I don't know, 18 hours and he and he had two more hours before the midnight struck and yeah. he had to get dressed and yeah. go for a run. And, and that's a tactic that, you know, uh, making yourself accountable to others. Have you broken your thousand days in a row? No, I haven't. And 
and you, you you know you're going to keep training. Mm. Some of it's a little bit silly, but um, but it's it's a really good tactic to keep you accountable because someone will ask you if you if you tell someone a ridiculous thing, they will definitely try to catch you out. That's that's what human nature is. I'm going to do you know fifty sit ups every day for the next year, and someone's going to ask me, "Am I still doing it?" And you don't want to say, "No, nah, no, nah, I failed mm-hmm. on that one." Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm not going to eat chocolate for a whole year. And, you know, inevitably you have to say, oh, I had some, mm-hmm. you know. So, so they're little tactics to make you accountable. As, and if you're a person who's got pride, you won't give that up. Um, Consistency breeds motivation. So um, it, the more consistent you are, just you'll find you're mo- more motivated because when you've done three or four weeks in a row of training, you don't want to miss a day, even if you haven't told anyone, because you go, I'm just on such a streak at the moment, I don't want to miss a day. And then mm. as soon as you miss a day, you start letting yourself miss more days. So even, yep. once you break it, yep. start again, and then try and get your streak back up again. Well, we do know that 30 days makes a habit. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm forever texting, and I, and I shouldn't do this, because it's against my principle, but I feel if someone's struggling, I'll say, well done, Brad, seven green ticks in a row. And instantly... They are motivated. Mm. Oh, that's good. I'm going to try and do that again. Mm. And and if you can get 30 greens in a row, then you're on your journey. And and that's motivation. Yeah. You know, just aspire yeah. to get training peaks. What am I talking about green ticks? Training peaks has green ticks if you do a session that's uh, loaded for you on a particular day. And there are other, other colours. Yeah. But if you have a red, it means you've missed. Yeah. Um, you can have orange yellow or green and that's still um but you know i'm i make the rule it has to be green which means you have to do the time that's that's given yeah one of one of the last couple ones was there another one you're going to say no no no. you go for the next one (laughs) well there's too many we just keep stumbling over each other well i think the one thing that i think the key one that i use which i don't know whether you want to talk about this now is is putting myself on race day and that's the the biggest motivator for me so if i'm feeling crap in november and my race is in march during a a period all i have to do is go what am i going to feel like on march the 28th when my race arrives the night before what am i going to feel like what am i going to feel like when i stand on the beach if i'm a triathlete or on the start line as a runner or i'm on hovered over my bike ready for the the race that I'm about to, to do, am I satisfied with the preparation? Have I done everything in my power to enable me to have the best day of my life on my A race that I've spent six or nine months preparing for? So in that November, when I'm sitting there thinking, well, I put my socks on, all I have to do is think about race day and race night the night before. Am I, am I shitting myself the night before because I haven't prepared properly or am I really happy with myself and looking back going well there is nothing more I could have done to prepare myself as well as I can and and that is the biggest motivator for me there's no doubt in my mind if I'm struggling put my mind straight to race day and you bet that I'm on the bike or I'm putting my running shoes on I'm going for a run or I'm jumping in the pool for a swim I was going to say that, that that's my number one as well um and I think that again it's come from a lesson you taught me when I was a kid but um 
just as soon as you think about that race day, it's just instant motivation. It's like a little secret pill, you know, and uh, it is. it's like it's a motivational. A good, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's, it's, it's like taking an injection of yeah. of stimulus when you're um, in, yeah you're in a conflict. Do I do it or do I not? When you have to make a decision about what's what's going to be best for my preparation and what's not. As soon as you think about how am I going to feel the night before the race, how am I going to feel the morning of, how am I going to feel when I'm starting or or in the race. That whole week, yeah. that build-up, yeah. when you start thinking about the race, yeah. oh, geez, why did I only do four long runs instead of the 10 he told me to do? Yeah. Why did I do three endurance rides instead of the, you know, the 75 I was supposed to do? Yeah. You're just kicking yourself mm. that whole week. It's so disappointing. Mm. And... And I just don't try to avoid. I just don't want to. I don't want to feel like that. Mm. Um, I want to get there knowing that, you know, I've done everything in my power here, and whatever happens on race day, I know that I've I've prepared as well as I can. And you know, it might not still pan out the way I want to, but at least I know I've given mm. it everything. Mm. But if you get there on race day and you have a crap day, you know why. Yeah, yeah. Um, but agreed, it's my absolute number one, and it it never fails to give you a little surge of just oh, I know what to do now. Yeah, because you really think mm. about that day, it mm. really builds up something inside of you, and that's obviously also the value of having a goal because if you've got yes. that goal, you can yep. you can think about that. Yeah, but if you don't have that goal, um, and it's you're just meandering along, aren't you? You know, you can't use that tactic. Yeah, exactly. Because there's you know, my goal is to be better. Mm. Well, that's a great goal. I'm really happy with that goal. I'm not dismissing that. But be better when. It does make it easier to yep. give into a yep. a session or Yeah. Yep. I'll be better next week. Yeah, yeah. And that that's kind of a good point because I actually mentioned this today to someone as well, was um, when someone says to me, Oh, I'm having a bad week, I'll just start again on Monday. Well, good on you for it's Tuesday. Let's just waste five days in preparation <laughs> and you've now lost. Yeah. What about you just start again now? Yeah. Um and and get your mindset right and you know, I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna. That's a famous word. I'm gonna <laughs> go and get your shoes on and go and do the session. Yeah. You know what's stopping you now? Yeah. Oh, just laziness. Yeah. Um, but I'll start better on Monday. No, you can keep doing that and keep starting on Monday. Don't be that person. You know, if you're having a bad trot, don't make the consistency worse mm. by having a adding five more days to your bad trot mm. that you've just had. Mm-hmm. It could be legitimate reasons why you've had three days off. But don't make it eight. Mm. Make it three and start again. Yep. One of the only last ones I had was um, yeah, meeting up with people um, like you spoke about, even if you're not meeting up with them in real life, meeting up with them virtually or just training at the same time. Uh, I know my other two brothers have used that before. They text each other and say, do you want to get on just for a bit of motivation? And they'll chat on the phone while they're, while they're doing easy riding, you know, just doesn't make a difference not riding together, but that's a uh, time they're setting aside to talk and pedal at the same time. And I found that effective for my easy runs, just organising to meet up with someone, just gives you that motivation for the easy slow run um, or joining a group for your hard sessions. Yeah, I just think there's that, they're the obvious ones that mm. we haven't even talked about and mm. that they're the, they should be the ones you go to straight away. Um, there's always going to be a conflict whether the people you're going to train with are doing what you want. Exactly. Yeah. So That's why that's hard. Yeah, yeah, so what do we do there? Well, I... I, I, I my message, and I've had this conversation so many times with the athletes I coach, oh, but I want to ride with this guy on Monday. I say, absolutely, go with him and and explain to him that you've invested in a coach and this is where you're at with your program and he doesn't have a coach and he's just doing a random what'll I do today session, which is normal. Mm. Wake up, what'll I do today? I'll just do a recovery. I'll ring Joe and, and 
we'll do a recovery ride together. But as I get out there, I might just go harder. Mm. And and that's his program. Whereas you can say to him straight from the from the outset, look, today we're going to do recovery. We're not going to go over 190 watts, no matter what. So if you're happy with that, then let's go. Yeah. And during the ride, he'll say, yeah, yeah, well, we talked about that, but that doesn't count. And all of a sudden, just let him go. And you stay with your 190 watts. And all of a sudden, he will join you. Believe it. Believe it or not, that's what will happen. So you have to be selective and you have to make it clear from the outset. Be transparent. This is what I'm doing today. Um, And if it's a hard day and they want to join you, great, join in. But this is the session I'm doing. Um, um, And every time I do a hard section, I'll come back towards you or work it out. You know, if we ride the hills and someone's a really uh, at a, a less standard than you are, you know, when you get, if you're doing four hill repeats, you get to the top of the hill, you ride back down and you join them mm. and, and ride back to the top of the hill with them and then you go on the journey. So there's lots of little tactics that you can use. Um, as a runner, you know, if you're running with someone who's too good for you um, and you're doing a hard session that's similar to what you want to do, then that's actually okay. Uh, as long as it's got a similarity that you can say, well, I'm trying to get, you know, three, four, five-minute efforts here or 30-second efforts or two-minute efforts, depending on what your session is. Um, and if they're, if they're running too hard for you, Great, just do your version, um, but you're still in with the group, and you still got that yeah. camaraderie, teamwork uh, that you know you're sharing pain with others. That feels like it's okay when you when you're sharing it by yourself. Oh, you know, you're looking around, going, "Whoa, how yeah. hard is this?" You yeah. know, but uh, but using using groups and friendships, I think, is great as long as you can not compromise your program. Yeah. That's the key. Uh, underwriter there that uh, the minute you start doing that you might as well not be on the program because you're just doing the sheep program Mm, yeah yeah i guess that uh summarizes some some good tactics one last thing i wanted to clarify we touched on really briefly before when you said this is not my philosophy but i text someone um the seven green ticks i wanted to clarify that because it is a big part of your coaching philosophy that you're not there to motivate people absolutely that's not my job um, I want I want people who are on the same page as me who who have a desire and a passion to reach a goal, and my job as a coach is to help them um, do the right sessions, um, have the program spread out correctly, um, and make sure that they're riding in the right power ranges, make sure that their heart rate is appropriate, that they're riding at the right cadence, that they're getting the tactics of the race, that they're learning how to execute, etc., etc. Motivating them is not my job. Don't come to me if you need someone to motivate. Go to somewhere else because you will be motivated by the passion that I've got um, in, invested in you. Um, but, but I'm not going to spend time talking you into training. That's what we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's not what I see my role is. Yeah. And that's why you are happy to send that little text because it's a little tactic, you know, that that yes. little help, but it's not, it's not you creating the intrinsic motivation in them because you, that's not your philosophy. You, you won't do that. No, it's just telling them they're on a good journey. Mm. Um, and it's a, it's a motivator um, in a different method, but yeah. it's not me ringing up saying, come on, Jordan, I know you need, you, you need to train here. Come on, come on, you can do it. Yeah. I'm not that. I'm not that coach. Yep. Good way to finish off. Uh, it's been a big podcast. Uh, thank you very much for listening. It's been hopefully one that can help you train when you don't feel like it. That's it from us. We'll see you next episode. <laughs>